Hello everyone, welcome to Death Watch. Apologies for be- being both uh, slightly late with this uh, episode and also for us sounding like we're being recorded on a phone, because we are. My name is Matt Brown. And I am Matthew Price. And uh, we're not just being recorded on any phone. No, it is an Apple product. No, no, that's not what I meant. But yes, it is. But <laughs> I mean, yeah, fair. Yeah. But we're being recorded on, I believe, the still most venerated mammo. Mm-hmm. That's that right. It's recorded many mammos on it. So if you followed us from our other podcast, Mammo, uh, the podcast that invented podcasting, you're familiar with this <laughs> sensation of listening to us talking into an iPhone. Sorry, um, just the idea that we were audacious enough to invent podcasting mm-hmm. and then dumb enough to do nothing with it. Uh, <laughs> that sounds right. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, not just because we're dumb, but isn't that always what happens when yeah, somebody invents a brand yeah. new idea? Welcome, we, listener. Yeah, we we, we didn't <laughs> invent podcasting. Yeah. But, you know, the further away we get away from 2005, the more true that feels. Anyway, uh, Death Watch, in case you don't know, it's the monthly podcast where we eulogize one of the greats who has recently passed by watching some of their work we weren't previously familiar with. Uh, we're recording this episode on August 31st, and it should be dropping in your feed very, very shortly. Yeah. Normally on the last Friday of the month, although this case it'll probably be a Sunday or Monday. Uh, and today we're stepping off our normal beaten track uh, to discuss the career of author Toni Morrison, who uh, was only directly involved in one film, which is the one that I'll be discussing, uh, Jonathan Demme's 1998 adaptation of her novel Beloved. I believe mm-hmm. you uh, you read one of her books, though. I did. We're going to talk about I did. that. It, it is, I think, for someone as prolific as her and as much of a cultural force as her to have virtually no film adaptations mm-hmm. is... You know, seemed significant to me too, and Indeed. so and so. Yes, I did read one of her books. I read Tar Baby, which is a novel from 1981, I believe. Cool. Uh, and uh, and we can talk about that as well. Cool. Um, yeah, from 1981. So we're gonna you know we're gonna give this our best shot, being that it doesn't normally fall within our, our framework. But I also got to tell you, having watched Beloved, I can see why her works might not lend themselves to easy blockbuster adaptations. Well, they're definitely not blockbusters, yes, yeah. for sure. But Woo. they are heady and interesting. Oh and, yeah, and, absolutely. Uh, you know, you. I mean, I assume that it was. We'll talk about her, but I, I have to assume that it was partly deliberate on her part to say, no, I don't want that to happen. Yeah. Uh, and it must have been. I, there must maybe you have one, but there must have been a story behind Jonathan Demme getting the rights to adapt. I have no story that book. All right, fair enough. No. But I imagine there was one. Yeah. Um, in any event, uh, before we do uh, talk about that and about Ms. Morrison herself, it is time for roll call. Roll call. Roll call. Roll call. It's the monthly feature on our show where I, uh, with your help, discuss the other folks that have uh, sadly passed away Indeed. since um, since our last recording. Yeah. Uh, so uh, this has turned me into that person who reads the obituaries mm-hmm. constantly, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> which is sort of an interesting thing to be when you're kind of heading into your middle age years. Right? Yeah, because become... one of these days it'll be you. Well, it's, it's uh, yeah, there's a very famous uh, um, New Yorker cartoon where a character, uh, the the main characters reading the newspaper, but mm-hmm. instead of headlines, they all just say, two years younger than me, five years older than me, <laughs> my exact age, like that. Uh-huh. Uh, so that's that's kind of how I feel. Uh, so yeah, so just right on the heels of doing our last show, uh, we lost Johnny Clegg, who was a South African uh, world music star, probably the most famous white African musician who ever lived and recorded with everyone. Uh, and. Uh, had a pretty stunning career and, and passed away at a relatively young age, like mm. under 60. Um, Paul Krasner, who was uh, a, a prominent counterculture figure in the 60s, actually coined the term 
uh, Yippee. No. Or, yeah, yeah. Wow. Yeah. So the kind of a kind of a big deal. That's a big deal. Yeah. I hope that's what it says on his tombstone. Yeah, I hope so. Yeah, yeah. Um, architect Cesar Pelli, who was the architect for the Petronas Towers, which was at one time the tallest building in the world. Hmm. Um, uh, sadly, we also lost uh, Spider-Man in the MCU, <laughs> uh, uh, which I know is not really a death, and yet is a kind of death. It is. A, it is a death of, of joy. It is, is it? the death of the happiness of, of many people. Oh, I see. The joy is what it is, is dead. I thought you were uh, happy that it happened. Yeah, no, it is. Yeah. No, no. It is. It's very sad. Now, I mean, I personally, let's go full mammo for a second here. I fully expect that uh, in about 10 months, all will be well. Yeah. Well, just like, you know, hey, it turns out that what's his name is directing Guardians yeah, of the Galaxy. Yeah, Guardians of the Galaxy. That's uh, all you know. happening. Don't yeah. you worry they'll, about they'll it. They'll walk it back. Yeah. Uh, yeah. This is all just about money. Of course. Um, also, very sick right now. Uh, single-use plastics. They are on their death's bed. Finally. Uh, shopping bags are being banned, straws, yep. and then Hasbro announced mm-hmm. that they're not using Hasbro's them. Hasbro's not using I And mean, for me, like, as a toy guy, that's a huge fucking change. Now, I couldn't care less because I've never been a package guy, right? Yeah. But I know that a lot of the toy collecting world is going to flip their fucking lids when it's yeah. like, what, are you going to wrap them in muslin? Like, what's the Yeah, I <laughs> think it's in, play? like, a, a series of, uh, of husks, corn husks. Yeah, that's right. That, yeah. yeah, you peel yeah. the corn on the cob and the yeah. Han Solo action figure falls that's out. That's right. That's right. Uh, David Hedison, who played Felix Leiter in Living yeah. at Diane, License to Kill, the only actor other than Jeffrey Wright who reprised the who role. multiple times. Uh, he was also in The Fly, and he was also in Folks, which is a very underrated, do you know that movie? No. Double F Folks, a no. very underrated Pierce Brosnan uh, spy film that came out just before he got Bond. It's a very good movie. Amazing. Um, Art Neville from the Neville Brothers and the Meters mm-hmm. and the one in the uh, beret, in case you're wondering which Neville brother he was. Right. Kind, got of it. The, kind of the musical lead of the Neville Brothers where... Where uh, his brother was more the the, I can't, the, the song the singer. I right? can't picture the Neville brothers. Anyway, there you go. Uh, NASA Mission Control standby Christopher Kraft, who was Mission Control for everything. No shit. Yeah. Oh, so, I didn't hear that. Not not the guy that Ed Harris played. Mm-hmm. He was he was actually like B team. Yeah. Mission Control. No, I know that's what's so great about but, that character. Uh, yeah, but the other guy, the sort of yeah. the actual main guy. Um, Rusi Taylor, who played uh, Minnie Mouse and, more famously, Martin Prince. That was wild. Yeah, Martin Prince is dead. Everyone from the classroom setting is dying, which is I mean, I just got to throw it out there, Fox. Or Disney. Fucking stop. With? The Simpsons. Fucking stop. Yeah, they're all going to be passed away, and then what do you do? They're all going to die. Yeah. Uh, Okay, this brings us to our first honor roll call, and someone we actually, for, for a fair bit of time this month, Thought we might actually make this show about him. That was Roger Howard. Yeah. Uh, boy, what what do you want to? How do you want to start? I this? don't even like, know. Like, I mean, I he's just you know. You and I talk a lot about those actors where like anytime they show up, you're just like, oh well, this is gonna be all right. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> you know, yeah. he has the smallest, most thankless bit part in Batman Begins. And yet, when he came on, I was like, well, this movie's going to be great. Yeah, this is exactly. going to be terrific. Yeah. Like, I mean, it's just that, he yeah. was always that pull. I think, you know, someone else said this when he died, and it's worth, I want to repeat it, because I also really believe it. It sounds like such a joke, because it is really basically a joke premise. But he is so good in Hobo with a Shotgun. Yeah. He's yeah. so fucking good at that idea of humanizing kind of a very trope stock character. Yeah. And like I mean that that's the kind of yeah. role he could do well. Like it's it's just he was so fucking great. 
Yeah, I uh, I feel like the first thing I ever saw him in was Lady Hawk. Probably. Because <laughs> I don't think I saw... I mean, I would have been like 11 when Blade Runner came out. So if I saw it, I would have seen it later, right? Yeah. Uh, and yeah, he's always just... He's always great. N- you know, nailing it. And, and he's a fucking wacko. Like, that, he's also nailing it in a way where it's like, well, you're crazy. Yeah. You know, yeah. he turns but up he's, for two episodes of True Blood where I'm just like, what? Right. Right. <laughs> yeah, just one of those guys who is able to channel it. Like, I think of, like, Lawrence Tierney, too. Like, yeah. yeah, there's definite mental illness there, but he's but channeled into this way yeah. that... It becomes a communication that is sort of undeniable. Yeah. I frankly think Nicolas Cage has some of that too. Oh, for where sure. He just, you know, maybe in his private life it's just a nightmare, right? But yeah. like you get him in front of a, a camera and yeah. Yeah. Um, ben Kinchlow, who uh, I was, you, this is, his name means nothing. Remember there was a black guy on the 700 Club? No. <laughs> you know the 700 Club? With, I, I vaguely uh, remember with Pat the Robertson? 700 Club. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Generally had a black guy sitting beside him, kind of like legitimizing. That's Ben Kinchlow. Oh, no shit. <laughs> yeah. I don't know if I am. Yeah. yeah, he passed away. But that was a long yeah. time ago. If you were flipping channels in the 80s or 90s and the 700 yeah. Club was on, you know, you'd stop and be like, what is this shit? And mm-hmm. then like he would be beside Can you there. believe yeah. that existed? Oh, yeah. yeah. It's so yeah. weird. News, quote yeah. unquote. Yeah. Um, Phil Himes, who was the uh, lighting director for Saturday Night Live from its inception. Wow. And also for Kids in the Hall. <laughs> uh, <laughs> like, Jesus. Yeah. Uh, so like a 50-year career in television. Wow. Uh, all of that original group of behind-the-scenes SNL people that mm-hmm. like basically stayed there forever. They're all kind of, this is their time, right? Yeah. Um, and then I want to come to another couple of roll calls. So why don't we start with... Honor roll calls. Honor roll calls. Yeah. Uh, why don't we start with one that I think more is probably much more for me, but I wanted to take a minute and Do talk it. about it, and that's Hal Prince. So Hal Prince was a, a Broadway producer and director. Um, y- you can't really name a significant show from about the 50s to the 90s that he wasn't instrumental in producing. Um, everything from West Side Story to Forum to, um, to Cabaret to uh, everything and and uh, uh, you know worked with everyone great and mm. you know if Hal Prince was producing or directing your show did Fiddler did right then that show was going to just about always going to be successful um, and for me he's a very significant figure because that's the period of musical theater that I, I most strongly am, am fond of mm-hmm. um uh, I think beyond everything else, Hal Prince is the person that innovated the idea that before Hal Prince, if you did a musical, and you had a big musical number, you'd have to follow it with a small musical number in front of the curtain mm-hmm. because they were back there carting off all that scenery. Right. Hal Prince created that form where you could seamlessly transition right on stage and things like um, turntables and other like much more ambitious so you'd never have a show like Cats mm. without Hal Prince you'd never have a show like Miss Saigon uh, like th- this idea of admitting to the audience that things were going to move in and out and not pretending that it was all magically appearing and mm-hmm. like making that stagecraft part of the show so that the transitions became uh, diegetic mm-hmm. to the show that's Hal Prince and so apart from everything else and the brilliance of his sort of like ability to entertain and all of that it's wow. you know I think he changed this form in a way that can't be changed back at this point so right on so uh, yeah so uh, that was uh, that was a tough one <laughs> for me that's I mean he, he's older but yeah. still um, uh, and then the other honor roll call for this month is D.A. Pennebaker. Uh, which 
Whew. That was another. Like, yeah, well, I mean, not someone I have a huge amount of familiarity with the work, but yeah, obviously very significant documentary filmmaker. Yeah, I mean, I think yeah. you know you can talk about the music docs because I think they're kind of where he made his bones, and yep. and they are you know in, don't look now, they they are incredibly significant music music documentaries. Um, but I really, uh, to be honest, I really think the War Room is the movie that for mm. me is like that's one of the best documentaries I've ever seen, and it you know especially because it so effectively mythologizes a guy that, as it turns out, was not so great. Mm. <laughs> Indeed. Right? But I definitely remember feeling like, wow, we were really on to the cusp of something great here. You know, <laughs> this Clinton guy is going to yeah. save us, right? Right. Um, so, yeah, uh, 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 just monumental yeah. talent. Uh, okay, back to, back to regular roll Normal call. Normal roll call. Normal roll call. Uh, Rosie Ruiz. As soon as I heard this name, I was like, I, why do I know that name? Rosie Ruiz was the winner, in quotes, of the Boston Marathon. Famously, she started the marathon, got on the subway, <laughs> oh. got off the subway, wow. and finished the marathon in record time, beat everybody by miles, and people were like, and she got the award, and then they were like, wait a minute. <laughs> <laughs> Well, sure. I mean, yeah. that's the way to do it. Yeah, one of the most infamous. I just love that story. Mm-hmm. That like, I bet I can just get on the subway. No yeah. one will know, yeah. right? Yeah. Um, and then uh, noted um, uh, terrible person Jeffrey uh, Epstein. Uh, yeah, who, that guy's gone. Who was uh, that suic- was pretty cool. He was yes, he was uh, suicided to death in his jail cell. Yep. Um, uh, costume designer Piero Tosi. Uh-huh. Who was did costumes for all of Visconti's films? Senso, Rocco, and his brothers, The Leopard, The Dam, Death in Venice, um, and as well many other Italian directors. Uh, um, quite notably, he did two of Vittorio De Sica's best movies, mm-hmm. I think, uh, Yesterday, Today, and Tomorrow, which, if you haven't seen it, is like one of the funniest things I've ever seen. If you haven't seen it, watch uh, it uh, yesterday, today, or tomorrow. Correct. So. But it is, it's on, you know, various online channels, and mm-hmm. it's wonderful. And uh, another really funny movie with Peter Sellers called After the Fox hmm. uh, that Neil Simon wrote, actually, uh, and DeSica directed. Um, Peter Fonda. Yeah. I did not have this as an honor roll call, but this is a significant loss, I would say. Uh, and not very old. He was under 80, I think. Like, yep. Uh, yeah, he was James you know. Fonda's younger brother. Yeah, I mean, he uh, you know, certainly lived a full and sure. experimental life. But uh, um, but again, hugely important mm-hmm. uh, to film history, if, if for nothing else, and obviously for Easy Rider, which kind of yeah. kicks off the 70s in a, in a pretty meaningful way. Of course. Um, uh, someone you might not mo- know more about than I do, which is Ernie Colon, the uh, comic book artist I did not I don't know what he did yeah I didn't I was not familiar I was familiar I with the fact that he was point, significant but, yeah. but I was not unfortunately not familiar with this no. uh, Edward Lewis who was one of the producers of Spartacus and was the uh, actually the producer who broke the blacklist with Dalton Trombo oh cool so hero right and, on man yeah um, anime animator Dick Williams uh, Canadian did famously did the uh, Titles for animated the titles for Casino Royale '67. Right. Uh, you mean the good part of that movie? The good part of that movie did the did the animated titles for Funny Thing Happened on the Way to the Forum and for the Pink Panther movies, and of course also uh, was the head of animation for Who Framed Roger Rabbit. Right. Which, when you think about it, is job of a lifetime. And That's he, mental. And and not just did he do it, knocked it out of the park. Mm-hmm. I don't think the the animation in Who Framed Roger Rabbit is unassailably great, mm-hmm. and and in many ways better than the the stuff it's drawing on. Right, right. 
Um, uh, Catrice Barnes, who was a songwriter and performer, worked at SNL for the last 10 years writing songs for SNL sketches, wrote Dick in a Box. No shit! Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Uh, and black, and wow. the only woman on the on the musical writing staff, so mm-hmm. like every song parody you can think of for the last 10 years, that's mm-hmm. her. Nice. Um, uh, Patricia Louisiana Knopp, who was a screenwriter who mostly collaborated with her spouse, Zalman King. So, wrote Nine and a Half Weeks, wrote Mm -hmm. Blue Orchid, wrote for Red Shoe Diaries, also wrote a movie that, again, has kind of disappeared, but is well worth seeking out, uh, the Mary Lambert film Siesta, where Ellen Barkin wakes up in a negligee covered in blood and has no idea how she got there. And uh, it is, it is very good. Cool. Um, uh, Comedian uh, and Dr. Demento stalwart Kip Adada. Who right. is comedian? Uh, liked to play with words. Wrote a couple of really famous uh, pun-filled songs for for uh, that got played a lot on Doctor Demento, and is responsible for one of my favorite puns. He wrote a song all about uh, all the all the jokes in it were around fish and being underwater. Mm-hmm. And at one point, he says, "I brought my barracuda into the shop." Guy said, "I'd blown a seal." I said, "Fix the damn car and leave my private life out of it." Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, which that I, sounds like your kind. That of is my kind of humor. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> uh, one of the Koch brothers. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's been a good month for bastards going down. Yeah, it really has. <laughs> um, uh, Cleo. Yeah, Cleo Journal. Yeah, Cleo Journal. Um, ugh. yeah. Yeah, it sucks. I it mean, they gave, they gave it a good run, like that. that Honestly, know, it's it, it's gonna stay as like some. It's gonna yeah. should come out as like a bound yeah really volume should. that you can keep because yeah. it's it's the writing's not time specific. No, it's, and it's yeah, you know, it's absolutely like a a monumental achievement that they got sure. it done as much as they did. Right. Yeah. Uh, Ferdinand uh, Piesch, who was uh, I'm probably mispronouncing his name, and I apologize, but he's the oldest grandchild of Ferdinand Porsche. Uh, oh, was the it was named the car executive of the century? <laughs> well, sure. Uh, brought so basically, if you think of Volkswagen now as owning Porsche, uh, Bugatti, uh, Bentley, like it's a massive. It's I think the largest car company in the world. Mm-hmm. That's because of this this guy, ap- apparently terrible dude who <laughs> was really hard to work for, but you know was instrumental. He helped develop the Porsche 911. Like he's you know mm-hmm. it's a very significant right. uh, uh, guy in the world of cars. Uh, David Cooper, who was the owner of the Zanzibar Tavern in Toronto. Oh. So if you are from Toronto or have mm-hmm. visited here, you may have been downtown to our, our quote-unquote Times Square, which is Young and Dundas, mm-hmm. and there's a pretty prominent uh, gentleman's club mm-hmm. <laughs> there that has mm-hmm. a big, big sign on it called the Zanzibar Tavern, and this guy owned it since its inception. Also, his father owned the Bermuda tra- uh, Tavern, which was another infamous uh-huh. Toronto strip joint, and his brother owned the, bla- owned the Brass Rail, which was another. Wow. Yeah. What so, yeah, all nice Jewish boys hmm. who, uh, you know, this is the thing about Toronto is all the strip joints are owned by uh, by Jews. We don't, okay. we really specialize in this. I don't know why. Great. Um, also, just having seen, there are a couple more of like late editions, but before I get to that, just having seen all of the announcements that came out of D23 and what's happening with Disney Plus and all of that, mm-hmm. I am going to call it and say this was the month that uh, terrestrial television died. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, yeah. 
For for a million dollars, tell me what CBS's Monday night lineup is. Yeah, right? Can't do it, nope. right? Nobody, nobody knows, knows yep. because we only know about what's coming on Netflix, what's mm-hmm. coming on uh, Hulu, what's coming and on I've Disney+. And I've said it before, we're all just going to run out of time. Like, nobody has well, that Well, we certainly have time. run out of Can you imagine, what is a show, what was the last time that there was just like a regular TV show that you even watched? Well, I actually did get back into Survivor this year, and it was a very weird experience because it would be like, oh, shit, I'm going to go show up at 8 o'clock on Wednesday night because I didn't want to get spoiled or anything, so Right, watch it right. live. And then these commercials would start, and I'd have to go do something else for a couple yeah, yeah, of minutes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Makes no then sense. And I'd come back, and I was like, this, I'm trying to this think model of like, makes no sense yeah, at all. Yeah, and, and apart from even that, like, reality stuff, what was the last dramatic show? I don't think that, they like, make those they anymore. They made they a make, difference. Do they make on, those anymore? Yeah, they do, yeah, but, like, yeah. who's watching, right? Yeah. So I, I mean, I do think HBO will figure it out, but everything else... Yeah, but HBO—that's premium cable. No, I right? there's no, I yeah, no terrestrial network, over-the-air broadcast is, television is done, is done, man. Network it's over. Done. Yeah, it's over. Uh, and then just like a couple of days ago, we lost Valerie Harper. Yeah, uh, um, Rhoda Morgenstern, mm-hmm. and, and also from Valerie's family, which is another really actually very good sitcom as well. Yeah, it was next to impossible because I was just starting to grow up when Valerie went on the air, so it was really weird for me when she died to not just be thinking. But her family will go on. You know, like, it's just like I'm <laughs> yeah. used to this idea of her yeah. dying and then six years of Sandy Duncan's in charge. Right, right. <laughs> I believe that's Sandy right. Duncan's probably dead, too, but... Uh, that's uh, right. Yeah. That's uh, right. Anyway. Yeah, anyway. Um, dumb jokes. But that's uh, me. Yeah. But, uh, you know, dumb jokes, smart jokes. I, I thought the nicest thing was there was a, a really nice tweet from Matt Asner who, oh. you know, said, can't believe you went first. And yeah. And you know, I'll see you soon, which I oh, thought was God. like, <laughs> like I mean, but honestly, it's true, right? I mean, yeah, and, and I guess. you know, a lovely sentiment in some ways, but mm-hmm. but uh, yeah, just if I mean, it, the stuff. There's no such thing as reruns anymore. But man, go back and watch some of those old Rota shows. They are they are fucking funny. Mm. Like they're really funny. Um, and then the last person that passed away just before we end this off, uh, James R. Lavelle. He was 99. Mm-hmm. He is the guy in the hat and the white suit who is standing beside Lee Harvey Oswald as Oswald is shot. You know that guy with the surprised look on his face? Yeah. Yeah, that guy. Wow. (laughs) He was alive. The most surprised look (laughs) on his face. Yeah, yeah. You want to see a picture of a guy while another guy gets shot right as he's holding his hand? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that guy. Anyway, Amazing. that's that's roll call for this month. How did I do? You did real well. Yeah. Yeah, you did real well. Yeah. Uh, all right, so we'll talk about Toni Morrison now. Uh, very quick bio stuff because it's there's a lot. I tried to condense kind of some key stuff. Born in 1931 in Ohio, she was one of four children. Uh, her mother's family had moved north from Alabama to get away from uh, post-segregation racism. Her father's family grew up in Georgia, where uh, lynching apparently occurred on his own street when he was a teenager. He and his family moved. Uh, they did, eh? I wonder what well. caused them to yeah, move. Seriously, <laughs> all moved to Ohio, and it's like that—that's something that. Kind huh, of, why did they move? That's something that comes up a lot, right? It's like yeah. we think of these th- we white people. We always think about these things being so far back, and that's like, no, they're literally no, a no. living memory. These things no. happened in human lifetime. Yeah. Um, they're not that far back. Uh, when And speaking of which, so when Morrison was two, her landlord set fire to the house that the family lived in and was renting because they were late on the rent. He set fire to the house. 
Uh, he doesn't sound like the smartest businessman. No, well, I have to say, like, so the Morrison Morrison claimed that the family's response was to just stand there and laugh at him, right? And uh, that she c- considered it an example of keeping one's integrity in the face of monumental crudeness. Yeah, but again, living memory, right there. Yeah. Uh, so she went to Howard University because she wanted to study in the uh, company of fellow black intellectuals. She earned her MA at Cornell. She began teaching English uh, first at uh, Texas Southern University, then back at Howard. While she was there, she met her husband, with whom she had two children, before they divorced in 1964. Uh, she began working as an editor and eventually became the first black senior editor for Random House in New York, uh, in where, where she was instrumental in bringing black literature into the mainstream. Mm-hmm. Uh, her first novel was The Bluest Eye, uh, which she claims was written at 4 o'clock in the morning while her children were sleeping. It was published in 1970, so she had two children under 10 at that point. Um, this was followed by Sula and Song of Solomon, and then by the 1980s, she is becoming famous enough and lauded enough that she's able to leave publishing and uh, work on her writing uh, full time. Leave uh, teaching. Uh, leave leave editing. Sorry. Leave editing. Leave yeah, editing. Okay. Yeah. yeah okay. Uh, Beloved, which is the book I'll be. I mean, the movie I'll be talking. Book that the movie I'm going to be talking about was based on. Really, uh, it was written in 1987. She. It was the first part of a loose trilogy about reclaiming that which is beloved within oneself, the part of yourself that is you and is always with you and always loves you. Oprah bought the book uh, for adaptation and spent 10 years trying to get it made. Uh, Morrison also said that the Oprah effect uh, really drove her sales for most of the next several decades. Uh, Oprah put four Toni Morrison novels in her book club, and Morrison said that the sales boosts caused by that exceeded those of the sales boost when she won the Nobel Prize. And, oh, yeah, she won the Nobel Prize for literature right. in 1993. Uh, oh, yeah. <laughs> Just as an aside. Just by the way, yeah. uh, won the Nobel Prize. Uh, so that's that's Toni Morrison. You, do you want to start with your book or with, yeah, sure. with my yeah. movie? No, start with my book. Okay, start with the book. Uh, so I chose this book. So first of all, I will say that just having only read the one, I immediately put all the others on mm. my to-read list. Um, and it is you know, startlingly apparent within a page mm-hmm. that this is one of the great writers of all time. Yep. She is a masterful craftsperson to start with. Right. And that was kind of the joy of it was it's wonderful to read a book that's got things to say, but it's even better when it's got a really stylish way of saying them. Sure. So that was that was table stakes. I just was like, oh, her language is so great. I love it. Um, and I think I chose the book because it seemed to have the most obviously provocative title. Uh, mm-hmm. And I was not familiar with the Tar Baby story, but the, the Tar Baby is... Uh, it's, it's sort of funny starting to read about the... So I did do a little reading about what the Tar Baby is, wanting to have some cultural currency before I, you know, jumped into this book where I assumed it was going to be referenced. Um, and uh, sure enough, it was. And, uh, and so just to briefly set the scene on what the Tar Baby is, mm-hmm. it's, a, it's a Br'er Fox and Br'er Rabbit story. So you can think of, like, Uncle Remus and Song of the South. So it's a traditional folktale comes out of black experience um, where basically uh, a uh, a uh, the Br'er Rabbit character who uh, it, um, it, it is kind of the trickster mm-hmm. um, Br'er Fox wants to trap him so he makes a doll out of a big lump of tar and puts some clothes on it Nice. and when Br'er Rabbit is uh, uh, sees the tar baby the baby ignores him, and he gets mad, so he walks over and punches it and gets his fist stuck in the tar and can't get out. So it becomes a metaphor for uh, a situation where you are drawn into a morass and you can't escape. Mm-hmm. Um, the second part of the story is that uh, the uh, now that the rabbit is stuck, 
uh, Br'er Fox wants to get rid of him, but the rabbit, of course, is smarter than Br'er Fox. And so he says, do anything you want to me, but please don't throw me in the briar patch. <laughs> yep. And so... So he invented reverse psychology. Yes. So he throws him in the briar patch, which is, yeah. of course, the place where Br'er Rabbit wants to be. Of right? course. Okay. Yeah. So you can understand how that might have some interesting mm-hmm. stuff to explore. Um, the novel itself is not any literal take on that, it, but it is one of these books that does this beautiful thing of actually being a really specific and good story about these really specific regular, you know, people, mm-hmm. and also being this incredible kind of allegory to that story um, about a, a kind of escaped, very dark-skinned, uh, um, uh, uh, slave who escapes to uh, off of a off of a ship, and and this is set in around uh, I guess the fifties mm-hmm. uh, or sorry around the eighties, sorry. And he's he escapes, uh, gets away from whoever has been sort of holding him, and he escapes to a uh, essentially like a plantation mm-hmm. that's owned by an old white guy uh, who has two black uh, servants that work for him, and their daughter is a. He has taken this interest in their daughter and put her to fancy schools, and she's a fancy model and light-skinned, and she falls in love with the Mm. dark-skinned tar baby of the... All right. Metaphorically, of the story. Um, And uh, and it's about their relationship and how he... uh, um, never stops calling out how privileged and inappropriate the people that are looking after her are and it's there's, there's stuff in this book that was written in like 1981 mm-hmm. that we are absolutely still talking about now mm-hmm. and it was uh, it was a, a really great read and I would highly recommend it and not a hard book to read not cool. not the kind of book where I would be like oh you got to do some real work here it's really <laughs> like just you know like the best of the best things it's just enjoyable Right, right. So yeah, that was okay. great. That was my experience of Tar Baby. Well, I mean, I had the opposite experience of Beloved. <laughs> yeah, and so did I twenty years yeah. ago. So I was I mean, curious. Like, so here's the thing. Like, it, it 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 is a movie that you know you do have to do a lot of work. I don't feel like it's a successful movie by any means. Like, yeah. I, I think that there is a lot there. But there, I just is, remember being beyond bored, just like not understanding what I was watching. That that is part, and especially I think for the first like hour, half hour, forty five minutes. You, a lot of the pieces are not put together in a in a useful way, um, and you can really feel Demi grappling with how to tell the story, and he's trying a lot of shit, and a lot of it's very smart, but it's not very consistent. Yeah. So that becomes part of the problem. Anyway, to so to start from the beginning, it is a Death Watch triple. It is based on the novel by Toni Morrison. It's directed by Jonathan Demi, who died in 2017. Uh, the year of death that inspired this show. Yep. Uh, screenplay is by, I'm sorry, I'm going to get her name wrong, Okosia Busia, who was John Singleton's ex-wife. Ah, um, okay. So a lot of uh, Death Watch circling this thing. Uh, Busia claimed uh, that Richard Luke Gravenas and Adam Brooks, who got co-screenplay credit, were a little better than script doctors, and uh, I tend to believe that. Um, so, inevitably, I think and this is the case with all ad- many, not all, but many adaptations of novels, uh, it feels like a very staccato kind of fast read of a much deeper text. There's, you know, serious, yeah. clear thematic weight to a lot of the things that are happening, but you can't go into them very deeply because you're stuck in a time frame under three hours. You have hours. to go to the next one. You have to go yeah, to the yeah. next thing, and, and you know, it, you're getting very, very light beats. 
Um, so I kind of call it just like a deeply admirable semi-failure. I don't know that you could pull the ideas of the novel into a cinematic world because it's very, it, you know, it's dealing with spiritualism, it's dealing with loss, it's dealing with PTSD, with yeah. memory, with all of the, with various narratives throughout time. Things that novels do really, really well, but like in the concrete world of a film have to be very diagrammatic and you have to understand why you're seeing the piece you're seeing at the moment you're seeing it and so on and so forth. So I, I just think, like uh, the one, you know, we're in the golden age of television now, I'm like, well, this is a, this is a prestige show. Right, you could do this in ten episodes and clear the bases like just yeah, yeah, easily, yeah. but as, as and a, really walk, sink into it, yeah, and take your time exactly. To, to, but as yeah. a two-hour and forty-minute uh, film, it's it's it, it misses something. That said, I mean, like I saw it five days ago, and I've actually seen because we're coming into the film festival. I've seen several films since then. I'm still thinking about Beloved. Like it is definitely it left a mark. There was a yeah. lot there that I found. Well, it, it, like I, I'm saying, I was really I remember being bored and bewildered, yeah. but I still remember it. Yep. And that was in 1998. Yeah, right? And I, I absolutely remember the experience of being in the theater. I even have images of it still in my head. Yeah. I just also remember being like, I profoundly don't understand what's happening right now. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Now, one thing I'm going to say that seems to disagree with a lot of the reviews and criticism I've read. I don't actually think Winfrey is nuanced enough to carry the, the lead role. I think she's a very passionate and committed actress when she acts, and she certainly is here. Yeah. But there's there's a there's just kind of a lack of intuition into sort of like who Setha is and like yeah. how to communicate it to an audience. Like she's it's all kind of force and not a lot of poetry, which the character I can kind see of that needs. Yeah. Um, I think Tandy Newton kind of gets the MVP award for this for just. For the number of chances taken, because she's playing the, the eponymous character, Beloved, who is essentially a reincarnation of Setha's murdered baby. Right. Um, right. Another and, thing I didn't figure out until after the movie was over. Yeah, well, it, ta it takes a long time. Uh, it takes, so it takes I mean, a long time for you to go, yeah. that's a baby? Yeah. So she's literally playing a baby. I, re I recently read a yeah. read someone wrote. Uh, did you know that all babies are insane? And it's like, this is like, yeah. oh, yeah, no, that's, that's, the, that's the case here. Yeah. Um, but, you know, it... She connects with the ball enough times that it kind of works, but she also does fall into character a lot. The person who really fucking nails it in this movie is Kimberly Elise, who plays uh, Seth's daughter, right. Denver, um, and, you know, gets to mature from being kind of like a very uh, sheltered 17-year-old to being like a young yeah. lady kind of finally ready to move, move out into the world. And she's kind of the character that I really take away from it because her arc in the... I guess because of her, her arc is the, is the clearest and the most traditional, right. which is that for her, it's essentially a coming-of-age story. It's learning to right. leave her mother's traumas behind her and right. begin to stand on her own two feet and move out into the world. But, I mean, that, to me, also suggests maybe there's a, there's a flaw in how the movie reads that because it is about how that trauma thunders down the line of generations, particularly in this black family that would, you know, lived through slavery and has only recently escaped from slavery. Like, you know, Oprah Winfrey's character literally was on the run from slavery when she was pregnant with her daughter yeah. and, you know, ran to Ohio, you know, like, so I think if you miss making those connections, you kind of miss the point of the story. Yeah. And I, you know, we talked about the, the pitfalls of, of, um, eulogizing a person like this is that yeah. for our own backgrounds we're not qualified right? no of course and, and yeah we're not pretending that we are no we're, we're not no um but you know yeah it would be it, it it you know even at the time it felt like a movie that only worked if you had read it yeah and i mean uh, and you know, the best thing i can say about it is it genuinely made me want to read both this novel and its two follow-ups like i i think yeah. again i think the the structure of the story once you've seen the whole thing yeah is very commendable and very interesting um, I don't think the movie can land a lot of the points, 
but I'm interested in reading the whole thing. I also do like as a you know just as a film goer. I like movies often where you really do have to see the whole thing before you can judge its component pieces. I think, you know, yeah. particularly in the Letterboxd era, I am much too inclined to have an opinion of something 15 minutes into it. And, yeah, yeah. you know, and I that's have to not remind myself. doing anyone a favor. It's yeah, not doing yeah, anyone yeah. a favor. Like, yeah. you have to watch the whole piece and get the get the whole piece. I yeah. mean, you know, there's a lot of really, really interesting shit in here. There's this fascination with, with feet, not in the Quentin Tarantino way, but the... <laughs> But just stop kink shaming I'm not, Quentin Tarantino. We were talking about this before we recorded. That's not what I. Folks, stop kink shaming. Stop kink shaming. But no, like I mean, just the way the story like leans on what feet are and how they carry you and, yeah, and how yeah. they how they bear the marks of your life story and yeah, how yeah, Seth's yeah, feet do that yeah. versus versus Beloved because yeah. Beloved is basically a golem like she just kind of came out of the swamp. Out of the swamp. Um, yeah, there's uh, obviously a lot of stuff about PTSD and how like you know. In the story, the PTSD of slavery is very clear and obvious because why wouldn't they have PTSD about stuff that happened in their lifetimes? But I think the point Morrison is trying to make is that that PTSD has survived through the generational yeah. line of the black yeah. community for for two or three hundred years. Like it's, it's yeah, and there is that um, theory that 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 type of trauma actually enters your DNA and yeah. passed yeah down anyways even yeah even, exactly uh, you know. I will say this, I, I, you know, as much as I was aware of Beloved when it came out, I had no idea till I started watching it that it was a fucking ghost movie. I had no <laughs> idea that that's what that movie was about. So in the first fucking scene when this poltergeist is tearing the goddamn house apart, yeah. I'm just like, like, holy shit, oh my God. <laughs> what is happening? I thought this was going to be about people drinking tea and yeah, having conversations. absolutely. I had no yeah. idea it was going to yeah, yeah. go straight to the kind of the center yeah, of yeah, types of yeah. stories that I like. Yeah. And one last thing, which is that Bea Richards is in a playing uh, Baby Suggs, who's uh, Setha's kind of like adoptive mother, and I fucking love her. <laughs> She's so good, so it was just nice to see her. Yeah. Yeah. Um, okay, so that's that for, for that. Anything yeah. else you want to cover off before we go? No, I think uh, it's been a highly eventful month for both of us. So yeah, that's why absolutely. We're late, so yeah. we apologize. Yeah. But, uh, Hopefully, we get back on track for September. We have somehow lost yeah. all of our recording equipment in the midst of all this, but we're <laughs> assuming it's <laughs> going to come back. And if it doesn't, we'll figure something else out. Yeah, but hopefully, you heard half of this. Yeah, so, yeah. that'd be nice. Yeah. Um, but thank you all so much for listening, and we'll be back next month unless one of us dies. Mm-hmm.